Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue on with our ITA College Contender Series, previewing our top 11 teams heading into the 2021 season. Of course, joining me to do that, as they always do, we can bring them in right away. We're in the Thanksgiving spirit, in the family mood. The reason I bring that up, by the way, if you hear Star Trek, I want to say it's the next generation because I think that's what my dad rolls to when he's working out. That's that noise in the background. But of course, he will not be joining us on the podcast today. Joining us instead, as they always do, the other two members of our college tennis holy trinity here at Cracked Rackets. Let's start with your favorite writer on our website, the former four-star recruit, the better half of Baylor's Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot. How are you doing on this Thanksgiving week? Doing great, man. Looking forward to some uh, some food. I, I really don't need to be eating that much, honestly. I've uh, gotten way out of shape, and it, it is pretty embarrassing. I'm not going to lie. I need to hit the gym, uh, but I'm looking forward to some good food. Uh, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about our team uh, today, one of my favorite teams that we have ranked as our contenders. So uh, it's going to be fun. Oh, I think this is going to be a contentious episode, and the man who just screams contention on our Cracked Rackets shows, you of course know him as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of Almond Joys, the snitch, and now the professor, Chris Hallioris. Chris, hey, great shot. It is always a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing great. This, I mean, I love... Every week I'm going to do something that makes you add another line to my intro, and the the podcast is just going to be like three hours long by the end of the season. No, the question will be how many of them can I remember? And it's honestly a, probably a pretty good challenge for me to have to force myself to do this exercise day in, day out. It's like doing a morning Sudoku. Every morning I'm going to be like, all right, forefather of the college tennis ranks. <laughs> and I'll just go on and on and on in my head until I lock that in. But of course, yes, it is always great to get to talk to you both on Thanksgiving week. Of course, happy Thanksgiving to all of our Cracked Rackets listeners out there. We, of course, hope you are staying safe. We hope you are staying healthy. We hope you get to enjoy some time with your family and if unfortunately you can't just because of the pandemic the way things are oh we want you to be able to spend time with us your cracked rackets and college tennis family so we thought we would have you know no week off here just because it's thanksgiving week we all even if you do have the chance to see your family we all are going to need 30 45 minutes to sneak off watch some football listen to a podcast just get away from everything so of course we are going to roll on with our college contender series here today on the show uh and we are on our fourth school now of our preview we named and broke down number 11 university of georgia spoke with coach manny diaz we've talked about number 10 university of michigan spoken with coach adam steinberg number nine university of florida and brian shelton and now we bring in our number eight school on our list. And just to preface, even before we get into the heated debates, even before we really get into it, because I promise this is going to be a fun one, as always, Westoff, I need a college contender sound effect, please. All right, Maddie, today's team coming in at number eight. 
the Stanford University Cardinal. And of course, off the bat, it's Cardinal. Are we going to say Cardinals at some point during this podcast? Inevitably, but we're well aware it's the Stanford Cardinal. I don't need to see that DM this year. What I do need to see is the Stanford team on court because certainly they bring back all of the cast of characters from a year earlier. But Maddie, this team also brings in the number one recruiting class in the country. Of course, that's going to center uh, be the center topic of so much of our conversation tonight. But just to start things off, where did the Stanford team leave things at the end of 2020? Yeah, I think 2020 was it was a bit of an up and down season for the Cardinal. I mean, they they went eight and five overall, and there were a lot of dips up and down. I mean, they had a good kickoff weekend to start the year, qualify for indoors, but uh, they really kind of struggled. And and you know, we never think of Stanford as you know an awesome indoor team. Obviously, they're out there in California. They play primarily outdoors, but they did sneak out a, a win against NC State, four to three. You guys were there up in Madison. And then they had a couple of losses to USC and Texas, who are obviously, you know, they were top teams last year, so it's nothing to sneeze at. But, um, you know, five losses on the year, you know, in just a couple of months, they played Texas twice, lost both. They played USC, who's a big-time Pac-12 rival, twice, lost them both. They ended up losing to TCU, which was a match that maybe you thought they would have been able to win. Uh, But they did finish the season strong uh, with a home victory over Ohio State, who was a top five team at the time. So they did end on a positive note. But I think one of the reasons that, you know, a lot of people probably weren't considering Stanford to be a top contender this year is just because they weren't that fantastic last year. Um, and so there may have been a bit of a, a bitter taste in, in some fans' mouths, but um, I just, I love this team. I really do. So last year's in the past. We're looking forward. Yeah, and I know when you talk about this team, Matt, um, you you look at the returning players and you talk about it very eloquently in your article, which of course all of our listeners can go find at CrackedRackets.com. But, you know, the center returning figures in this conversation for this team, Axel Geller, uh, the junior Argentinian who was the former world junior number one, I want to say maybe a junior Wimbledon finalist, if not champion. I don't remember exactly. Of course, we were fortunate enough to have him on our podcast earlier uh in what was it this year was it last season I honestly think it might have been two years ago at this point uh you know we've so yeah. fortunate to get to cha- uh, speak with so many of these college tennis players and so you know for him last year was a down year there's no denying it you look at it three and four overall in dual matches six and six overall on the season in singles of course behind him was number two Alex Rothstart one of the top recruits in the country uh, a couple of years ago the sophomore last year five and five at the number two singles position. That was unexpected for me, Matt. I thought those two were going to be on the top half of the top two duos. And I'm not saying they're still not, you know, a top 10, top 15, top two in the country, but I thought they would be closer to top five than top 15. They played more like a top 15, top two. And I think that has to change this season. Yeah, that's totally fair, Gruskin. I mean, I'm I'm with you there, and I think the expectations, you know, when you have guys like Axel Geller and Alex Rotsart, I mean, the expectation is to be, you know, a, a top duo, top combination in the country, and they've proven that they can do that in the past. Look, I know Geller was down last year. He wasn't playing his best. There was a lot of, you know, Stanford fans were, were upset with his performances, but 
I mean, to me, this is a guy that is proven, you know, throughout his years there that he is when he's right, if he's healthy, if he's in the right mindset, playing well, confident, he is absolutely one of the best players in the nation. There's no question about it. I have all the confidence to believe that both Geller and Rotes are, are going to come back this year just fine. I know last year was rough for them. They had a couple of losses that were maybe a little head scratching. Um, but at least for me, I haven't lost confidence that those guys are, you know, capable of playing with any team in the country. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. And look, again, when you look at this Stanford program, Coach Paul Goldstein, what he uh, has managed to accomplish, I believe this is now his seventh season, <clears throat> excuse me, overall uh, with Stanford. And, you know, dating back to when we first started our college tennis podcast here at Crack Rackets 2018 season, that was a really good Stanford team. And that was a team with Tom Fawcett at the top and then a young dangerous Axel Geller at number two singles. And you never like, or let me just rephrase. I have a sweet spot as a college tennis fan for freshmen in the number two singles position. I'm just going to name some off of my top of my head. Andre Styler. Andre Styler, but Blumberg, <laughs> do you remember Blumberg 2017 behind Ronnie and he was just yeah. a machine and like JJ Wolf when he started a semester early behind Torp and it's just, there are always, if you're playing two singles as a freshman, you're a special talent and usually it means that if you're a top player coming in and playing Cannon two, Kingsley. that means it, another great example. It means there's someone really good playing above you and that's always the foundation of a really good team and it's worth remembering on this team now you have in Axel Geller and Timothy Sahn, yes, Sam Turch Chetta as well, but he's played a little bit less than the other two guys. Players who were part of that semifinals national indoor team. Players who, uh, you know, suffered the disappointment that season, if memory serves me correctly. They got upset in the NCAA tournament. They were a top 16 seed. They ended up losing that match to Mississippi at home. Of course, that Mississippi team went on to play Florida, and that was a team with Fawcett, Kumar, Janenderer, Jenison, and that team had the chance to be really special. And I would say, Chris, and, you know, again, a little sneak behind the scenes, listeners, we had some connection problems. That's why me and Matt were boxing out, Chris, also because we don't like him very much. Uh, but no, Chris, obviously, uh, going to you now. And by the way, he, so none of you can see this. He's rocking a Liberty hat. And that is just, it's a beautiful wardrobe choice. Again, the hat, the flow, it's all working for you right now, Chris. But, you know, again, we got to see uh, Geller and Rothstart play in person last year. And with the preface, it was indoors. But when you look at their performance, yes, this team got a late 4-3 win at the end of the season over Ohio State. But when you look at how they performed through the first part of 2020, again, when you're looking at the roster coming back, what are your thoughts on the Stanford team? Well, I think, you know, it's a team that I I feel like we we seem to have had higher hopes for than we've gotten results out of the past couple of years since the year you talked about with uh, you know, when they had Fawcett there, but uh, there's no, there's no mistaking the talent at the top of the lineup. And, and I think the issue has been, you know, what they get necessarily from the bottom of that lineup, especially considering that, you know, you're, ba you're playing USC, UCLA, you know, Cal uh, to and Oregon when they had Thomas Laurent, I mean, to some extent, I mean, some really, really good teams. So you've got to be solid, uh, you know, all the way through the lineup. And I think that is the difference this year where they bring in what, you know, arguably the number one recruiting class with at least one and probably two guys that may crack the starting lineup day one. 
that I know you're just itching to debate with us, Kraskin. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, you know, I think that that's been the missing piece for them. They've had the great they've had the great recruits in bringing in guys like Rozart and Geller, but they haven't got it all the way through the lineup. And now now they've really got a really deep team. When you look and you stack these guys up eight nine deep. Uh, you know, you can line them up with the other teams we've talked about that go really deep, like a Wake Forest, like a Florida, like, you know, the teams we've talked uh, kind of early on that go that deep, like a Baylor, right? That just have, they've got these 13 and a quarter UTR guys out the wazoo and they're just, they've got tons of them now. Yeah. And look again, yeah, just to quickly recap, 2018, that team goes 22-4. and four. That's a really good season by any metric. And then, you know, the next season they lose Fawcett, but they still have Geller, they still have Kumar, they still have Janenderer, they still, you know, bring back a ton of talented players. That 2018-2019 team, uh, they did a little bit worse. You know, they, uh, in tw- I believe that 2018-19, they go 19-7 and seven that year. You know, they lose to SC in the Pac-12s. They lose, I believe, to Virginia, that 4-2 indoor match. They really could have won that match against Virginia in the round of 16. That was one of those Virginia hosting. Uh, that was that first year that they ended up doing that. Wow, it's crazy to think that was that long ago, uh, that that was the first time, and it really wasn't that long ago. Anyways, 19-7. Uh, and seven. Then last season, you know, again, it was the slow start they got off to, uh, you know, through the national indoors. I think they had, uh, you know, they, they go 8-5, and five, excuse me, through uh, the stopping of play. They lost to USC. I want to th- I want to say two different times their other losses a 4-0 loss at Texas and then a 4-1 loss at TCU but again this team ended their season with a 4-3 home victory against a limping to the finish line Ohio State Buckeyes team but still a 4-3 victory over them now Maddie talk to me about these freshmen they entered the lineup and why you're so excited about this roster in 2021. Yeah, I mean, it just, it fills out exactly what they needed, like Chris talked about. I mean, they have the guys at the top, you know the known commodities with Geller and Rozart, and now you bring in these top talented freshmen that I think there's going to be two of them in the lineup, for sure. I think we see two freshmen in there, and that's going to allow guys like Rozart maybe to bump down a spot. And maybe instead of playing number two, he can play number three. And that just, the depth of this team is really what they were missing. We knew they were talented, but now you bring in this top recruiting class and they've got all the pieces. They have the talent. They have the depth. They have experience. They have youth. They're checking all the boxes. So when you go through, you're like, okay, where are the weaknesses? I'm not really sure that there are any. When I'm looking at this roster just on paper, right? And the thing with freshmen is, you can have the number one recruiting class. We don't know how they're going to look and how they're going to adjust to the college game. That's always a question. However, on paper, they're checking all the boxes, and I I just I love the team. Yeah, look, last season, I think there is a slight misnomer with this team. Look, across their singles positions, and again, grain of salt, they really didn't play that many matches. Had they had the chance to beat up on some of the lesser Pac-12 competition, had they had the chance to play their non-conference schedules, some of these numbers would have certainly been inflated. But, across their singles positions last year, Stanford, 3-4 and four at 1, 6-5 and five at 2, 6-4 and four at 3, 5-5 five and five at 4, 6-2 uh, at 5, and then 5-2 and two at 6, 
That doesn't jump out to me, Chris. I mean, throw in the freshman into that lineup again. You throw in, we know Geller's going to start the season at the top. We know Rothsart, and I feel pretty confident that Sangeet Sridhar is going to be in that lineup as well. But when you're starting to project match calculus, when you're starting to project the lineup for these teams, what are you looking at, Chris? Well, I think the one given is Geller's playing one. Okay, I mean that that's not going to change. I'm I'm with Maddie here, and I think it probably we probably won't start the season this way. But Arthur Ferry, I think, ends up being the number two guy, and Rozart gets a chance to play three, and that is a ridiculously yep. solid three. Um, but I mean, Ferry has had just an unbelievably strong uh, fall. You look at what he's done, and he's an English guy, and you look at what he played over there and the guys that he's been able to beat, I mean, up and down solid. And we're talking solid pros, you know, guys like Mark Whitehouse, who's a, who's a very solid flow, Jack Draper, who's, who's a, you know, very highly ranked beat him, you know, beat Finn Bass from Baylor three and O. I mean, he's just, just a great, great run. He's on. I think he ends up playing two. And I think Rots and Aaron ends up playing three. You mentioned Shridar. Uh, I, I think Shridar slides in at four. And then as Maddie alluded to and I did earlier, I think, you know, the other freshman that I expect to see get playing time is, is Tristan Boyer. I think we'll end up seeing him in the lineup, uh, you know, at, say, five or six, along with Timmy Tim Saw. And then you yep. still got guys like Kolozinski in there. You've got another freshman in, in Chaudhary coming in uh, that I think could very well be there. And, and Alexander Lee, you're still bringing Neil Rajesh back who actually played a fair amount last year. Right. So there are guys, you know, and Jenison still there. There are a lot of guys, uh, there. Actually, I'm not sure if Jenison is still there or not. I, I'd have to go check. the. Uh, I believe he is coming back. I, I, I think we looked this up and he is back for one more go round. If I think that's in your article, Maddie, if memory serves me, correct? Yeah. I mean, he, he's rostered. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, and, and honestly, I probably don't expect to see a lot of that. But another big bump that I think they get, not not only is, is Ferry a, a tremendous uh, guy to bring in for, for the singles lineup, he's a very good doubles player. I mean, he went semis at the juniors uh, in both Wimbledon and the Australian Open uh, uh, in, in doubles. So, the, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of talent coming into this lineup that I, I'm really excited to see. Here's what I really like about that answer and why you're encouraged if you are a Stanford fan because we talk so often about match calculus. Rothstart at three, that now we're talking locks. We're talking that's one of the best three singles and how many of these three singles players have we already talked about, right? Seymour and Andrade or Vale and for Georgia, who's it going to be? You know, there are so many different options. We were at the National Indoors, Chris. You can't tell me pound for pound there are people in college tennis who hit the ball bigger than Alex Rothstart. I mean, oh my God, the way he was just absolutely pounding that forehand. And certainly from a talent perspective, again, that's one of the top recruits in the countries uh, who's playing now at Stanford. And I mean, you get Rothstart. It depends how Boyer looks. Again, that's the problem, though. So much of this is freshman dependent. And, you know, I say you are the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula. I also say predictions never far from the listed UTR, Chris. And clearly, 
I think for you and Matt, it's worth noting, we talk about our preseason rankings coming in. I had Stanford at number 10. You, Chris, had them at number 6. Maddie, you had them at number 7. Here's why all three of us might be selling this Stanford team short. I'm just going to start reading the teams they have a higher team UTR then. Just, you know, and again, listeners, you're going to be surprised because I'm not going to stop for a while. Compared to UCLA, a four 2.3 points higher. Compared to Baylor, a four a full 1.6 points higher, but again, take that with a grain of salt because some of the Baylor guys are a little bit low right now. Compared to Wake Forest, they're 0.4 higher. Compared to Ohio State, uh, I believe they're point, what is it, 0.2 higher, 0.22 higher. Compared to USC, they're 0.17 higher. The only team they have a worse power six UTR than is the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. And again, that's what so much of this comes back to. On paper, the talent is all there, but you start to look at the fall results, Chris, and I know we haven't had that much fall tennis. You talked about it a little bit with Ferry. I want to let you go first here. Is there any insight inclination? I know you sort of talked about the four guys we probably see at the top, but why are these UTRs so high is really what I'm asking. Why has this, why have the Stanford players been able to maintain these numbers where other teams have fallen short? Well, I mean, let's be honest, a, a lot of it, right, is it's, it's really tough to compare, and the college coaches know this, it's tough to compare guys. You really have to look at what, you know, what's on, what their activity's been. If they've been, if they've been playing and just not producing that's one thing some guys right have just fallen off because they haven't been active and haven't been able to maintain it on the flip side some of these guys like Arthur Ferry has played through the summer and he's played quality and he's not playing these you know tournaments where the first two or three rounds are 11 and 12 UTR guys right and then and then all of a sudden he gets a semi and a final match that are that are actually competitive you know he's playing he was playing the the Lawn and Tennis Association over in England, they're some of their pro-level events, and he's playing guys in every round that are 13s and 14s uh, and and beating them. You know, and I had mentioned the Draper and guys like Ryan Penniston, Julian Cash, uh, you know, Luke Johnson, all guys that are really, really quality guys. And at that point, you know, those are the kinds of things, if, you're, if you were truly, and obviously nobody in, in the end really cares about the UTR, they just want to win their matches. But if on paper you're trying to get yourself a decent UTR to get yourself noticed for college coaches or whatever that may be, if you're playing day in, day out, 13-5 to 14-level UTR guys, all you got to do is play a competitive match with them. You know, if you're going 7-5, 6-4, or three sets or whatever it is, then you're, you know, you're going to be right there at that level with them. So they've got a lot of that going on. And most of their guys, and we talked to Coach Goldstein, and they've been able to, you know, they've been able to stay active. And I know – uh, you know, just from following other guys, like, uh, I mean, there's no secret that I follow Nuno a lot, right? And I've seen over, whether it be in Portugal or Spain, I think this week in Spain, Tristan Boyer's playing, and I think he won his first round match over there today. So they're they're getting a lot of pro events in uh, under their belts. Uh, and, you know, maybe some guys aren't necessarily afforded that luxury. Most of these guys are getting a lot of action in, and that's, you know, to some extent, that's why you see them able to keep that up there. And on the flip side, they're just really good. Mm-hmm. No, I I think you absolutely nailed it. That was the answer I was looking for, by the way. That's why you are now the professor uh, as well, Chris. But yeah, you look at these UTR numbers and they're just staggering, Matt. I mean, 
81.69. That anytime you're over 80, anytime you're over 81, you're in elite territory. And this Stanford team just on paper is in elite territory. And so again, I'll give that same question I asked Chris over to you. When you start to look at the projected lineup, let's say we all agree Geller starts the season at number one. How yeah. do you see the rest of the Stanford lineup filling out? Yeah, no, I, I like exactly what Chris said. I mean, those are pretty much my thoughts exactly. And Gruskin, I know you think that a lot of this is freshman dependent, and, and that's fair. I mean, it is. But but here's the thing, man. I mean, these aren't just normal freshmen, right? We're talking about guys like Tristan Boyer. Tristan Boyer was probably the most coveted American recruit yeah. in the country. He was. I mean, I know every coach in the country wanted Tristan Boyer. He goes to Stanford. Arthur Ferry, not your typical incoming freshman recruit. So I know what you're saying. And under normal circumstances, yeah, you don't really know how the freshmen are going to react. But these guys, I just think, are a different breed, man. I think they're different. They're playing at a different kind of level. So I expect those two to be in the lineup. If Rotsar bumps down to number three, that's tremendous. All of a sudden, you've got a fantastic top half of your lineup. And then you've got guys like Sridhar, Timothy, Sa that can play down four through six that are experienced. I mean, they've been around. So the fact that they get to bump down in the lineup, you know, Timothy Saw was playing, what, number four primarily last year, four or five. Now if he can play six, look, nothing's going to phase that guy. He's been around for four years. He's seen it all. He's done it. He's played in the big matches. So, again, it just – I'm looking Geller. I'm looking – Ferry and then, you know, Rotsart and then either Boyer or Shridar and then the other one and then, you know, Timothy Saw at six. And then you've still got guys like Jenison and Neil Rajesh that are probably not going to be in the singles lineup. But if they do need to come in, let's say there's some injuries, right? Let's say something happens, somebody's out or just not playing well. There's reinforcements. So Coach Goldstein has, I mean, he has the luxury of playing guys that are going to come in and be experienced along with all of the talented freshmen. Yeah, so I think we've certainly established they are going to be competitive at all six singles flights, regardless of who they're playing. Uh, Something, of course, we know is always a differentiation between the top teams and everyone else, especially as you get later and later in the NCAA tournament. Chris, what do you think their doubles ends up looking like? Obviously, Geller has been a top doubles player in the world as a junior. Now he has a potential perfect partner for him in Ferry, but who knows? Maybe they split those guys up. Overall, what are you seeing from the pair? rings what do you expect to see it's always tough when you have this many freshmen i assume yeah you know they didn't they they didn't get a chance to play anything in in the fall a lot of the schools that we're talking to that you know they went they got to play some tournaments you know like for example the sec teams that we've talked to they kind of played these you know what used to be the hidden duels now they were just really almost just straight up matches uh uh, that just don't count as dual matches here uh, in the fall. And so they got to play a lot of doubles, try out some doubles teams. We didn't get to see any of that from these Stanford guys. So it's going to be a real, uh, a real head scratcher as to, yeah, do you try to put, uh, you know, Geller and, and Ferry say together uh, right at the top of the lineup, uh, both, both of whom are obviously tremendously talented doubles players, or, you know, do you go back to some of last year's team pairings? I, I really don't know. You know, I can't even imagine what we're going to expect uh, out of the Stanford doubles teams this year. So that that's probably to me even more interesting to see than what the singles is. You know, 
who's in what spot in singles, sure. But I still think we have a fairly decent idea of in the end who's going to be, you know, who's going to be playing there. But I have not a clue what those doubles teams are going to look like. Well, no. let me just say this, Chris, that Geller and Neil Rajesh were top 15 in the country. Those two played number one last year and were a really, really good team. Neil Rajesh is an underrated uh, doubles player, so I would expect him to find his way in that lineup. Now, I don't know if it's going to be with Geller again, but he's talented enough to play. He's a top six doubles player, I bet, on that team. Yeah, here would be my pushback, and I guess we can do this now because I haven't given the pushback yet. I wanted to establish all of the players on the roster. Again, set the scene for all of you listeners. Clearly, the Stanford team has a ton of talent, and you know, I wish I had better knowledge. I like to think I can go tit for tat with anyone in terms of college tennis, what these lineups look like. Certainly in the 2010s, you want to ask me about any of the top four teams over the past, you know, again, 10 to 12 years of college tennis, I could start to talk about them. But when you get a little bit before that, I start to have trouble. Anyways, the reason I bring that up, when was, and, and the thing that I think is central to the Stanford team, because I agree with you guys. You look at the talent, you look at the roster. We haven't talked about the conference yet. Well, I guess well, I, I'm too late into my spiel. We'll talk about the conference in a second, but certainly this team can, uh, along with USC, is going to compete for the Pac-12 title. Uh, but just you look at the results nationally particularly over the past 10 years. And it sucks because it's clouded, right, by the fact that UVA, USC, they went on their little nine-year run where they swept nine championships in a row, and that boxed out a lot of good young teams in mind. You know, that UCLA team, I think it was in 2014, that had Mackie, Gage Brimer, and Joe DiGiulio all as freshmen. Then you threw in Clay Thompson, Marcos Skirone. How that team never won, and Carousel, by the way, how that team didn't win a title in 2014, a conversation for another other time, but that's a freshman-centric team that had a Geller, and it had a Timothy Saw and a Rothstart equivalent. Uh, you start to look at some of these other years, though, and it's just, even that team fell short. Like, the Florida team we saw that lost to Texas in the semifinals in 2019, that was a really good freshman team. It fell short. How about that Virginia team in 2014? Kwiatkowski, Aragoni, Harrison Richmond, Jordan Daigle, Luca Corintelli, all of them in the fold. That team didn't have the chops come NCAA semifinals. They lose to a veteran USC team. And that is my problem when I look at this team nationally. That's why I have them held back a little bit right now. And maybe I was too low preseason number 10. Maybe looking at the talent, you guys have convinced me the upside for this team is significantly higher than number 10. But is there any position on this roster that you're just like, you jump out, you're like, this is a lock, right? Because when you watch some of these past national championship teams, maybe Texas aside, and maybe that's a good equivalent for them, although they're just so much younger, but like Wake Forest, you had experienced vets in the top three in Hrisokos, in Gojo, in Skander Mansuri. You knew going into every point if you're Tony Bresky, we're getting two singles points on the board between those two three uh, between those three flights. Now we just have to go find two more. And you had only one freshman in a Barbotzer who's a little bit similar to a fairy coming in to fill in the lineup. You had veterans elsewhere. It's just I can't remember 
seeing a freshman-centric team really go on. I guess the last one that is probably the most equivalent would be the 2009 USC Trojans, where you have a freshman Daniel Wynn, a freshman Steve Johnson to pair with an older Yak Poldma, with an older Robert Farah. But again, do you think Geller and Rothstart are the level of player as Poldma and Farah were that season? I don't know if I do. And so just that's where my reservations come about this team nationally, is they're just so young. And the difference between the 2000s, the 90s, and now is you can't fake no-ad scoring. You can't fake repetitions. You're only going to learn the pressures of that four-all no-ad point when it's 3-3 in the dual match by playing in that moment. And this team is just really, really young. They haven't played in that moment yet. And so again, Maddie, you're shaking your head at me. I'm going to let you respond first. It's a bad argument, Gruskin. They're really not that young. It's not that young of a team. I know they have freshmen that are here, but look at the roster overall everybody from last year is back they have veterans all over the place they have plenty of experience like that is not an issue for me at all you look at a team like Georgia who we've already talked about they are far younger I mean they overall top to bottom I mean Stanford has plenty of experience guys like Geller Rotsar Timothy Saw Shridhar I mean William Jennison um, I mean there are guys all over the place that have played and there's the, the freshmen that are going to play, I think, can produce. I, I just do. I mean, when, when, I, when I look at it compared to all of these other teams that we've been talking about, I mean, I don't have to, like, point out, okay, they're a lock at one, they're a lock at six or whatever. I think it's going to be the combination of the entire lineup, one through six. Any match that they play, they could get points out of any six of those positions. I think they are all super solid. All right, Chris, I apologize. I'm going to box you out again because I just want to push back to Maddie's point. Here's why I disagree with you. Because under normal circumstances, you're right. This roster would be exceptional. But these aren't normal circumstances. UNC, they bring back everyone. Baylor, they bring in everyone. And they're all veterans, right? When you bring in a Charlie Broom, when you bring in a guy, oh, I don't know what his name. Oh yeah. Nick Stokowiak. Like you are getting a couple of three, four year veterans who understand they're going to be thrown in a dual match. There will be no qualms. There will be no hesitations. They're ready for that. And, and that makes the difference, right? Even against, and you're right. And that's why I had Georgia, by the way, number 11, Stanford, number 10, because I think Stanford is a more talented version of that Georgia team. But It's not like these freshmen are joining a team that has two of the top 10 players in the country, right? Geller and Rothstart are both really good. They're not Gojo and Frisokos. They're not Johnson and Wynn. They're not... The Virginia team's the exception because they had five ridiculous players at all time. But the way the Virginia team in the late 2000s, early 2010s would replace, you know, in for Samdev goes Michael Shabazz. In for Michael Shabazz goes Jameer Jenkins. In for Jameer Jenkins goes for Mitchell Frank or Alex Damajan. Axel Geller and Rothstart are really good. They're not that good. And that's why in this season, and I know I'm kind of projecting here a little bit, saying you guys think of them as national title contenders. And I'm not saying you do. I'm not saying you don't. I'll let you speak for yourselves. That's just my hesitation with this team is under normal circumstances, they'd be really, really good. 2021 is not a normal circumstance. I feel like we've boxed him out for 15 yeah, minutes. Chris, so, Chris, yeah, please set us straight. Professor, Professor, <laughs> so, I, man, I, I hate to do this, but I'm, to some extent, Gruskin, I'm going to side with you <laughs> now. And it, and it pains me to do this, but look, here, here's the deal. I think 
I, I always get a little probably overexcited about the talented freshmen that come in. But I will also be the first guy to tell you that the newcomers, but and you know, to to Maddie's point, there's so many veterans on this team that I think they'll be able to absorb it. Do I think the fact that it's 2020 slash 2021 has anything to do with it? No, I, that part of the argument I'm not buying. The part of the argument that it is freshmen that you're bringing in to count on, absolutely for the same reasons that I was like, you know, last year, even though we never ever saw it, was saying, hey. Let's see Jensen Brooks be played college tennis. Sure, I don't care sure. who it is when you bring them in now. And to some extent, the American kids maybe have a little more exposure because it's American college and they've maybe seen what that college experience is like. They've seen the scoring. They've seen the atmosphere. They've seen the fans. And you bring in, you know, a, a funny story. One of the first years when I'm following around the Mississippi State guys, they bring a kid over, a French kid over. We're playing out in California. He plays. The match ends. Coach walks on his court. They stop the match, and he looks at him, and he's like, we're done. And he's looking at him like, what the heck's going on? And he goes, did we win the game? <laughs> you know, but it's like not a clue. Not a, not a clue. And so you get some of that that these guys just have to work through. And I've seen the guys like, you know, like Nuno come in and not just instantly be dominant freshman year as soon as they arrive. Now, by the end of the season, really, really good, but – it does take some getting used to just the whole format, the fact that it's a team atmosphere and not just you. So, yeah, I, I mean, there is a little bit of credence to that, that if these guys don't get into that college atmosphere and really figure out how to play as a team, yes. But at the same time, it's not like they're only six deep with, with two freshmen. You know, they're like nine, ten deep with four freshmen and – they don't even have to play them if they don't want, and they would still have the team they had last year. Uh, and they're just bringing guys in to make the team even better. So, uh, but I, there is something to be said for that. And I probably, you know, I probably do get a little more excited than possible. But one of these years, one of those teams is, is going to jump up, right? Like even last year, I was pretty high. And, and the year before that, the year before on Florida, last year, even on Texas, when you've got kids like Waldeep and Spaziri coming in, right? Uh, and with Florida, when you had Riffis coming in and, you know, and eight million other kids uh, that they've got, you always want to you get really excited about seeing that. So. Uh, so, yeah, I want to I want to see that pan out on a really, really good team. And this team just has the chance to be that special, really, really good team. Matt, I want to let you have the final word on this conversation, but I want to throw in one more piece of context. I alluded to this earlier. Stanford's Power 6, 81.69 UTR, USC's 81.52. Let's even narrow down this conversation a little bit. You look at the Pac-12. USC brings back everyone but Holt, and it's worth reminding people that that team that had, you know, everyone sans Holt was essentially the team that won the national indoors. Now, it does help when you can have Brandon Holt as a placeholder at one singles and push everyone down, but case in point was the semifinal match where they didn't have him, and they still ended up beating a Michigan team, albeit it was still a Michigan team, but they ended up beating that Michigan team without Brandon Holt. I don't know if there's any reason to think, you know, this USC team, and I know Chris will snitch on me if I don't say anything nice here, but, you know, Coach Macy, who's the greatest guy in the world. I love you, Coach Macy. Oh, have I mentioned how cool you are, Coach Macy? Oh, 
Brett Macy, what a wonderful human being. Anyways, um, no, uh, yeah, you guys aren't hearing this. You hear me laughing. It's because Chris is fist pumping in the air uh, in the background. But anyways, Maddie, uh, you look at Stanford even more narrowly. Now, again, if your final thoughts on them nationally and then also how they fare in their own conference. Because I think it's safe to say both USC, Stanford are class above UCLA this year. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Uh, the final thing I'm going to say just overall is the fact that, and Chris, you're right, I think there may be some lumps early. Like Stanford could drop a couple matches in the early part of the season as some of these freshmen are getting acclimated, maybe during the indoor portion of the season. But I'm telling you, as they progress through the year, I, I think they're going to be able to hit their stride and it's probably a team that's going to peak at the right time as we get into April, as we get into May in the postseason. And that's really when they want to be playing their best anyway. And again, you mentioned some freshmen from the past, you know, that have come in and, you know, we thought they were going to make an immediate impact. I just think some of these guys are a little bit different. I mean, we're talking about some of, I mean, highly, highly touted freshmen. I mean, that have the ability to play at the professional level, not the college level, at the professional level. You mentioned Ferry's results already. So I think it's a bit of a different animal. I really like them. But in terms of the conference, I'm going to say it right now. I'm picking Stanford to win the Pac-12. I have no problem saying it. I'm going to go on the record right now. That's my pick. I like them. I'm going to stick by it. That doesn't mean I don't like USC because I actually, I really do like USC, but I think Stanford's deeper. I really do. You don't lose Brandon Holt. Now, we'll talk about USC at some point here, but, you know, you don't lose a guy like Brandon Holt. Everyone's got to slide up. You know, they're not a huge team. The Trojans don't have a huge team. I just, I love the depth, the combination of all of those checkboxes that Stanford has. I'm going to pick them. I think it's their year. I like everything about them. I'm going to take Stanford to win the Pac-12 narrowly over USC. I love that pick, and let me say this. If Stanford does beat USC during the regular season, if they do also beat Stanford or beat USC in the Pac-12 tournament, now you start to take them much more seriously heading into the NCAA tournament because, as we mentioned, that USC team, veteran lace, they're going to be really good. It doesn't matter if they don't get to practice together once before the season starts. They're all going to be on the same page. They're going to be ready to rock and roll, uh, and obviously they've got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder as well because they probably feel like they should have won a national championship last season, but I mean— it's a really good pick, Chris. I, I I think Stanford is a team that is looking awfully solid. I will also add the fact that we haven't spoken about USC yet probably tells you that we feel a little bit better about them than this Stanford team heading into the season just because we know the players so well. But tough to go, tough to disagree with Maddie here, Chris. Do you? Uh, I'm, it's tough to disagree. But, uh, you know, I'm going to stick with where I started the season at, and that would be that, at least for now, sure, I'll disagree and say, I think the freshmen can make the difference, but let's let's not forget, okay, let's pull Brandon Holdout, which we did at indoors last year, and let's play Stanford, and what happened? USC waxed them (laughs) 4-0. <laughs> Kukerman knocked the snot out of Geller, which was surprising, right? I mean, we you saw think that'll you really think Daniel that'll happen Kukerman again? There. It yeah, happened. So, it was like a ten-minute match, Maddie. It was it was shocking. Yeah, it was it was crazy. But but and I think that's but that's where Stanford needed 
to bring these guys in because they, you know, they needed a little extra. They had, you know, you had Geller and Rotsart. Now, Rotsart, you don't expect Geller and Rotsart to go down uh, like that in under normal circumstances. But then it was just right down the line. Even after that, they just didn't have it uh, to, to compete with them. So now you bring these guys in, and I think it's a totally different ball game. They're bringing two guys in. USC's still losing Brandon Holt, uh, and and that, now it's a totally different game. I can't say that it won't happen. It very well could happen. But if you're asking me preseason to you know make my bet and place my money, I'm sticking with I'm sticking with you know the aforementioned fist pumping Coach Macy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I look. Oh, I think a lot of this, and it's funny because we've talked so much about the freshmen. Doesn't it come down to if Axel Geller's the player we all think he can be, which is a top five player in the country, that this Stanford team takes another jump? That if Geller isn't going 500, but if he's more Will Blumberg at the top of the lineup for Stanford next year, he's beaten Kukerman, he's beaten, let's say they go to NC State and he's just beaten Galarno right off the bat. That's the sort of match he needs to win, I think, for this team to be amongst the elite. And I'm going to lean with you, Chris. Mostly, I'm afraid of Macy uh, than anything else. I feel like he would show up to our houses even during a pandemic and be like, "How are you?" Go-? You know, he's already going to get mad that they're not our preseason number one, aka Chris the Snitch. Um, but yeah. <laughs> every week, a little more comes out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This story is revealed at this point. Um, but yeah, it's. The Stanford team is really, really good, and I fell in love with Florida. I swear to God, I know you're saying 2020, 2021, it doesn't really matter, but these rosters across the country are so freaking good, and under most circumstances, this would be a team who you circles. You're like, hey, this is your dark horse contender. I just think, like, I mean, Stanford versus A&M. They play in January. You probably lean towards A&M. They play in May you probably lean towards Stanford. Like, that's the crazy part about this season. So many of these freshmen have so much upside, and so it, it's really, really tough. I think the fact that—and and by the way, it's worth discussing, and Chris, I'm curious if you want to add anything here at the end of this. We spoke with Coach Goldstein. Obviously, you all can hear that conversation on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed, but we still don't know— if they're even going to be allowed to play tennis in California come January, right? We don't know if these schools are going to be allowed to host anything. We don't know if dual matches will be in session. We don't know if school will be in session for any of those California public schools. There is so much we don't know about this Stanford situation, uh, I feel like. So even, uh, again, for will this young team get to play enough matches during the season to gain experience, Chris? I feel like that's a big question. Yeah, I mean, I just hope, I again, I hope we get to see it. But you're right, you know, most, the, the three of us are all kind of, you know, east-ish or certainly east of the of the Mississippi. We don't see this, the situation out in California as much. And we know if through talking to some of these coaches that it's a, it's a lot more tenuous of a situation out there. And, what, you know, and it's not just Stanford, all, especially all of these California schools and especially the Southern California schools, uh, you know, they may be subject to things that are totally out of their control. It could be the university. It could just be the, you know, the city, the county, uh, et cetera. So, you know, when we start talking about schools that we know should be in the kickoff, like Stanford, like UCLA, like USC, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So I sure hope we get to see that. Uh, but yeah, it's a, as of now, everything we've heard from everybody is, hey, we're planning on it as a go. So that's all we can do is say, for now, we've got the go and, and proceed. 
I'm going strictly by UTR right now. Here are the gaps between the six single slights for Stanford and USC. 0 0.09, 0 0.04, 0 0.03, 0 0.02, 0 0.14, 0 0.03. The biggest gap in the lineup between the two is 0.14. That speaks to how uh, competitive this Pac-12 title is going to, uh, Pac-12 conference is going to be this season at the top. And of course, you know, I love uh, all of my guys over at UCLA, Ben Goldberg, too much uh, to count them out completely, particularly when you have the top, you know, the top three that they're bringing back. They obviously still have Keith against Smith. They have Govan Nanda. Uh, we'll see if Drew Baird develops another step this year. There's a lot of fun things UCLA can do, but of course, this Stanford team, we think they're going to be at near or at the top of their conference, and so much to go until we get to this point in May, but we end these podcasts, as always, with some predictions. Maddie, we'll start with you. How does this Stanford team end the season? Yeah, I mean, look, they're a Final Four caliber team. I think they can get there. I think they can make a run pretty much all the way. However, due to all of the factors that you kind of mentioned, Gruskin, all of these teams bringing everybody back, the rosters are loaded. I do have four teams that I feel just a little bit more confident in saying I'm going to lock them into the Final Four. So at this time... I'm going to pick Stanford to finish in the quarterfinals. A top eight finish will be my prediction right now. But look, guys, I mean, that could this team is absolutely based on talent, based on depth, based on experience, everything. Those checkboxes, they are final four caliber. And by the end of the season, if everything goes well, I would not be shocked to see them in the final four. But I'm going to I'm going to pick a quarterfinal finish because there are still four other teams that I'm going to I'm just going to say I'm a little bit more confident in. Yeah, that's I think that's a fair place to uh, be. I think that's a fair place to sit right now, given all the uncertainty. Chris, same question to you. And I see Trevor in the background. Hello, Trevor. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he walked in there, you know, just to see what was going on. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with Maddie in that I'm gonna pick a quarterfinal finish. I think it's not. Would it even would it shock me to see them in the championship match? Not at all. I mean, I'm not gonna be shocked if it happens. But that just means that the, these new guys assimilated very well and got right into things. You know, even if it took a couple lumps early, but they got the college game and they got rolling. And it's and it's very feasible. But I have, you know, as Matt, just as Matt does, I've got at least four other teams that are already known quantities that I can that I can hang my hat on and go, yeah, I, they're they're going to be there and be solid. So I'm going to I'm going to stick with them and say that Stanford makes the quarters. Uh, I think they I think they uh, hope, you know, they get one of those one of those uh, eight uh eight spots they host uh they make it to they make it to the uh to the ncaa's there but i think they end up probably bowing out in that first match i think that is such a critical question for this stanford team can they be and hopefully this is still the format we have who knows but can they be one of those host schools for a round of 16 match if they can because they're young certainly quarterfinals start to get interesting but again a young Stanford team goes on the road to Michigan and the outdoor, and it's the round of 16 match, and you have the veterans, Johnston Beatty, battling at 5-6. and six. At that point, the, ugh, that's my nightmare scenario. Let's just hope that's not the matchup we see, because with the two grins you both have on your face right now, it sounds like you would both be picking Stanford. To that, I say, Pfft. Um 
But no, I think quarterfinals for this team should be the expectations. I think in 2022, uh, 2021-2022, uh, they lose Geller, but they keep everyone else. And honestly, I think they can bring Geller back if they like. That's a very, very scary team. For this season, I think quarterfinals is the expectation. Anything better than that and a conference title as well would be a cherry on top. Fair? Yeah, in, in my mind, it's fair. I'm guessing they want more, but I think right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, certainly we will hear from the Cardinal more. You know what I would like more of? An S at the end of that word. Just the Cardinals. It just, again, I'm sure, oh, but tradition, <laughs> 1886, this is the Cardinal that Tiger Woods wore on his breastplate. It's like, no, it can be the Cardinals. We'll be okay with that. Anyways, this Stanford team coming in at number eight on our Cracked Rackets preseason rankings worth repeating once again to read more about this team go check out Matt's article on our website crackedrackets.com to hear from their head coach Paul Goldstein go to our cracked interviews podcast Chris and I chatted with him uh, this morning before recording this podcast so of course you will have both this that podcast and the article for your Thanksgiving day reading Uh, but with that in mind just a couple of other quick notes from us here at cracked rackets obviously it's winding this 2020 tennis season is winding down only a couple of challengers and ITF events even left on the year, of course. You know, I think soon we're all going to be turning like, oh, is there an ITA individual event this weekend? Some sort of live stream? Can I at least scoop around on play site to watch someone that's not me play tennis? That's something we all will be desperate for. But of course, we here at Cracked Rackets plan to fill your offseason with plenty of fun college, t- uh, fun content, whether it be our college t- tender series, uh, whether it be our upcoming stuff related to the ATP and WTA tours. I promise you all will enjoy it. So be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, for all of that you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod shout out as always to our super producers max flager and daniel westoff for the that any job they do day in day out shout out of course as well to our friends at DraftKings. go to dkng.co Slash cracked open to play while there are still a few professional tennis events left on the calendar. Uh, but as always, I will give the final two words. In the Thanksgiving spirit, I'm in a giving mood, so I'm going to give the final two words. I could never give the final word to Chris, so Chris, you go for it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, Chris, hit us with it. What are your final thoughts on this Stanford team? Ah, I mean, final thoughts, I just can't wait to see the freshmen play. And for, and for the listeners, I say, hey, Go check out the interview with uh, with Goldstein that we did, and uh, catch you know one uh, some of my uh, my favorite stories. He was telling us about the uh, that '98 team with the Bryans uh, and and how they decided who was going to play where. Really good story. So go check that out. Yeah, and some of you will hear that podcast and think that's all you're going to ask him. I have already texted him. We're getting him back on the show in the next three months. Like, I promise you, because we left a lot of things on the table in that conversation. But agree with you. I think that's one listeners will certainly enjoy. Maddie, you have the final word on this Thanksgiving Day podcast. Yeah, for me, guys, it's it's just it comes down to this being one of the most exciting teams that I think we're going to see over the next few months. I just encourage college tennis fans you know, who may not always pay attention to the West Coast schools and, and, you know, things of that nature. Keep your eye on Stanford. I think this is going to be a really fun team. They're going to cause a lot of noise, um, and it's, it's going to be fun to watch. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. Stanford, number eight on our Crack Rackets preseason rankings. With that in mind, for my wonderful co-hosts, Chris Halioris, Matt Stokowiak, our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Fellas, what do we tell of our listeners? Hey. Hey. Great, Great shot. shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, gentlemen. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. 